Hallelujah. Will you lift up the Lord all around here, all across the sanctuary? Would you lift him up and magnify the Lord? Oh, go ahead. Give him glory. Give him praise. Hallelujah. God, I lift you up. I love you, oh God. You are the mighty God. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. God, usher your presence into this house. I see your presence, oh God, your Shekinah glory. Fill us up, oh God. Fill us up, empower us, oh God. Anoint us. Anoint us, oh God. Hallelujah. Oh, how many can feel the Lord in the house tonight? I'm glad to be in his presence. Glad to be in his presence. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not going to read a scripture tonight. Thank you for your worship. Glad you're here tonight. I want to talk to the church tonight. And I think most of us, if I were to guess correctly, want to be anointed of God. If you want to be anointed of God, would you raise your hand? Just, I think it's all of us. There's a lot of different aspects of being anointed of God, but one of them is an anointing is like an assignment where God is anointing you for a purpose to accomplish a task, to do something. Uh, When you go back to the Old Testament, you see that the prophets were anointed to be the voice in their generation against the wickedness of whatever was going on in uh, Israel in that moment. And I believe that God is anointing us not just to feel good. While the anointing does feel good, you can feel the presence of God. He's anointed you for a purpose. Everyone say, God's anointed me for a purpose. God's anointed me for a purpose. You could have lived in, any, you could have lived in the 1700s. You could have lived in 600 B.C. You, you could have lived in the Middle Ages. You could have lived at any time, but God... Thank you. God allowed you and he put you here in this generation in 2022 for such a time as this. And he's anointed your life for a purpose to touch the generation that you're a part of. Amen? Amen. I remember in 1999, um, they had something called the Y2K scare. Now, looking backwards, it sounds ridiculous. And if you weren't old enough to remember this, um, you probably would think, well, how in the world did that, did the people take this thing seriously? The Y2K belief was that at the stroke of midnight at 1999, when it turned 2000, that all the computers would shut down, uh, the water system was shut down, the electric grid was shut down, everything would shut down because the computers only had a two-digit year and when it went to zero, zero and reset itself, it would be before all the programs were loaded and it would just wipe everything clean. Now, it was a false scare, but people were taking it very serious. They were telling you, fill up your bathtubs because you're not going to have water for a while. With water, stockpile food. Some people got to the point that they were stockpiling building shelters, stockpiling food and water, and putting guns down there to make sure that no one steals their stuff. So there was the extremes that were going. uh, But I remember going to camp meeting that year, 
And I remember it was a profound camp meeting in my life because that was the year and that was the camp meeting that I finally decided to let go of all of my fears and say, okay, God, yes, whatever you want from me with my life, I will do it. And that is a profound choice every young person must make who has a hand that God is leading and reaching. And you've got to at some point surrender and say, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. And that is why I'm here today because that camp meeting challenged me and God got a hold of me in that camp meeting. But I remember them talking about the Y2K because this was July of 1999 and the preacher made this statement that just stuck with me. You know, there was a lot of things said that can't mean that I don't remember, but I remember this statement. He said he was talking about a preacher friend of his that had built a bomb shelter and, and uh, stockpiling food and weapons and all this stuff. And he was talking about how ridiculous it is when the church gets off track and the church focuses on uh, preservation and trying to save self rather than the purpose of the church and then he made this statement he said I don't believe that the Lord is coming during Y2K but he said if the Lord was to come the church needs to know why the church is upon the earth and it's not to hide in a bomb shelter and I remember that stirred me because my friend we are 23 years farther than that camp meeting and we are that much closer to the coming of the Lord and in the midst of the dark generation that we're a part of when everything is going awry and the scripture says everything that can be shaken will be shaken the cultures are being turned upside down the traditions of uh, just humanity are being put on its head the spirit of the antichrist is definitely on display it's producing anarchy and it's producing all kinds of fear and in the midst of that the church that you and I are a part of in other words, you and I are the church. We need to know why we're in this generation for such a time as this. Amen. And so I want to talk to you tonight about, and I'm going to title this, and you'll understand at the end. Maybe at the beginning you won't, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now I want to start, I'm going to be, I've got a lot of scriptures, and I'm, this is more of a teaching than a preaching, but... Um, We'll see. I might do a little both. But in Matthew 5 and 13, it says this. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden down under the foot of men. Now, salt has two unique features in it. It has the ability to enhance flavors in food, if you've ever had a, uh, a dish and it had no flavor, usually we'll grab the salt shaker and put the salt on it because it will pull the flavors of the food out. But it also has an ability to preserve food. They used When they didn't have freezers and they didn't have ice in areas of the world, <clears throat> when they didn't have electricity and those kind of things, they would use salt. They would pack salt into the meat and the different things to preserve it. And where Jesus was speaking, obviously, was in Israel. It was in that part of the, the world. and the, uh, It's not that far from the Salt Sea. And the Salt Sea has a salt in it that's contaminated. It's, it's not the pure salt that you think of. It has gypsum and it has other contaminated minerals in it. And it causes the salt not to be so effective. It doesn't really enhance the flavor like it's supposed to it it just kind of you know you put it on the food or whatever and it still tastes flat 
but it also doesn't, per, uh, it doesn't keep the meats and keep the different things that they use it um, to preserve it. It doesn't work. They, they use it and it doesn't do anything. It, the, the meat still spoils. And so they take it and they, they use it to sprinkle it on the dirt where they have a, a path so vegetation and weeds don't grow up. This is what Jesus is talking about. The salt, if it does not work like it's supposed to, in contrast to pure salt, which never loses its flavor, and pure salt, which always never loses its ability uh, to be a preserver, if it loses that ability or if it's contaminated by other minerals, the only good it's used for is to throw it down on paths so you can walk upon it. And Jesus is using this in the context of Israel. You are to be pure salt, not the, the, the salt is contaminated by the things of the world. But if you are not the pure salt that I called you to be for the earth, then you're really good for nothing except trampling, trampling down underneath the foot of men, he said. And then he says in verse 14, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill which cannot be hid. And then verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all them that are house. I mean, why would you, you know, they didn't have light bulbs and different things, but even, let's use the light bulb analogy. Would you take some black duct, duct tape and wrap it around the light bulb before you turn it on? This is what Jesus is saying. Why would you light a candle and then put a basket over so the light can't illuminate? He said you would never do that. So verse 16, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Light illuminates. Light, it, it's a contrast to the darkness. Light opens the eyes to the unseen world. When it's dark, you can't really see. But when it's illuminated, you see what you cannot see, a world that's there or things that are there. And the Bible, and especially the New Testament, uses the metaphor of the light all through it. Christ was the light, wasn't he? In John 8 and 12, Jesus spoke and said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. So when we follow Christ, we get a hold of that light that he is. John 12 and 46, I am come into the world that whosoever believeth me should not abide in darkness. I'm going to tell you, my friend, it is not God's will for you to be blind on a spiritual level, to live in darkness, to live without purpose, to live without destiny, to live outside the call and the purposes of God. No, no, no. God's purpose is for you to abide in the light and not to walk in darkness. In fact, he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what he's done for you and for me. Amen. Acts 12 and 47, Paul is testifying and he's telling them this. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou should be a salvation unto the ends of the earth. So Paul is saying this. The light that Christ has given us is the light that gives salvation to them that are lost. Christ is the light. He saved us. He gave us the light. And we are to be the light of the world in the sense 
that we hold up the light for the world to see the gospel of Christ. Amen. Jesus has called you, my friend, to be the salt and the light of your generation. At your job, at your school, the places uh, that you shop at and you visit, your friends and your neighbors and your family, the Lord has called you to be the salt and the light everywhere you go. So do not hide the light from them. Do not uh, put something over and pretend like it's not there. Let your light shine everywhere you go, in the, in, in the grocery store, in the workplace, in the school, in the church house. It doesn't matter. Let your light shine. Because I'm going to tell you, you're the only hope this generation has. This generation is bound by darkness, bound by the spirit of this world. And the only hope they have, you possess. And you can help them and set them free from the bondage that they are entrapped in. Now, Jesus left the church with a great commission. An instruction, a commandment, an order, a duty. He gave it to you and I and to every generation from the disciples to, from the book of Acts to the day that we are living and breathing in. It was the last thing that he told his disciples. It was the last commandment he gave to the church. He promised when he called them, I will make you fishers of men. You're going to catch men, you're going to reel them in, and you're going to change their life. Every one of the gospel touches the Great Commission because it's so important. In the book of Matthew, in Matthew 28 and 19, Jesus, Matthew records it this way. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I'm reading the English Standard because I like the word disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He said, I want you to understand, you were to go forth and make disciples of all men. What does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, you got to baptize them because that transforms their life. But, but verse 20, the main thing is you need to teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. All that I've taught you, you teach them. All that I've showed you, you show them that. Everything that's recorded in my book, you, you, you show them. I want you to go and make disciples, to make students, to make people that follow who Christ is. In other words, my friend, the term Christian that was first given in Antioch means to be a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ or one who follows the teachings of Christ this is what a disciple is and God said the great commandment the great commission for you and I is is go forth and make disciples of men and women in the generation that you are a part of amen this is his will. This is his call. This is his purpose. This is what he has told you and I to do. This is what he said to his disciples. And he said, go forth into all the world, into all the nations. Amen. In the book of Mark, Mark captures it this way in Mark 16 and 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I mean, Mark was so stirred. He said, it's all the world, and it's every creature. 
preach it to the birds and the dogs and whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> In other words, he said, just let it loose. Don't hold it back. Let every man, woman, and child and every creature that hears your voice, let them hear the gospel that you have a hold of. Because if it saved you, then it can save them. them. If it changed your life, it can change their life. If it gave you hope, then it's a hope for them. If it gave you salvation, then it's a salvation that they need as well. And verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized is saved. My friend, when you believe you're baptized, it's, it's clear. Because a baptize is a covenant with God. It's a, it's a bearing of the old man and coming up a new man or a new woman, a, a new person in Christ. And he that believeth not is damned. My friend, it's all about faith, but it's about obedience to the word of God. If you really believe, you will obey the words of Christ. If you don't believe, you won't. It's very simple. The book of Luke Luke records it this way in Luke 24 and 46. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among what? All nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of all of these things. And so again... Luke is saying the same thing the other authors have said. It's being thumped inside the church as you open up the book of the New Testament and you come to the first three writers and the first three gospels and the life and the death and the burial of Christ. You begin to it beat it in you. Go into the world. Go into the world. Go into your generation. Reach for the lost. Take the gospel. This is the great commission. This is the great calling. This is what Christ says to do. Be a witness of the thing that you've seen and heard. My friend, if you were called up in front of the courthouse and you put your hand on the Bible and you had to testify in a case, they don't want to hear hearsay. They don't care who told you what. It won't hold up and they won't allow it in court. They want to know what you've seen with your own eyes and what you heard with your own ears. And Jesus is saying this. I'm not asking you to be a doctor of theology. I'm not asking you to know uh, the Hebrew and the Greek and all the different intricacies of, of, of the scriptures. I just want you to go in the world and I want you to tell you the people that are around you what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them about the life-changing experience you had with Christ. You don't have to know the Greek or the Hebrew. You just got to tell them what Christ did for you. He washed you. He saved you. He found you when you were broken. He picked you up. He gave you hope. He turned your life around. And he put you on a new road. And if he did it for you, my friend, he'll do it for them. If he pulled you out of depression, he'll pull them out of depression. If he pulled you out of drugs and alcohol, he'll pull them out of drugs and alcohol. My friend, God is just saying, be a witness to the things I've done in your life. That's all he's asked. Just be a witness. The book of John is pretty interesting because the book of John doesn't 
John, all of John actually is a little bit different from the first three Gospels. But John, when he gets to the Great Commission, doesn't focus on a general statement to the entire church. Instead, he focuses on one man. In John 21 and 15, it says this, so when they had dined, Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Simon, excuse me, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest me more than these? Don't you love me more than your friends? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love thee. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you really love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus looks at him right in the eye and says, then feed my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you really love me? And this time, Peter was kind of stirred. The scripture says greed. He was upset because why do you keep asking me this, Lord? You know I love you. And then Jesus says to him, And feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, make this great commission personal. This isn't about a great commission to a great big church of millions and millions of souls over multiple generations. No, no, no. This is a a specific uh, calling and a specific commandment. If you love me, then you, you, Peter, Make it personal. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Now it's difficult. I know it is. I live in the same world you live in. People are going here and there. They seem uninterested. You try to speak to them about the things of God and people shut you down or people don't want to hear it or people, you know, you slam the door in your face if you're knocking doors. Or, you know, I remember... <laughs> I remember this guy, he was on the job site with me, and man, he was going through something. Finally, he was telling me all of his sorrows, and I said, I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, Jesus can help you. You're broken, you're hurting. He's got a better life for you. And the guy looked at me, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity. He looked at me, and he said, oh, don't give me all that Jesus nonsense. I don't need him. Okay, you're in trouble then. See, we live in that kind of world, don't we? Where we all have had those responses. We've all tried to reach out and be that helping hand, and yet the world has turned a harsh word to us. This is why Jesus said he's going to empower you. I'm not just going to have you do it yourself on your own strength and your own ability and your own empowerment, but... I'm going to empower you. So Acts 1 and 8, we like to quote it. And maybe sometimes we use it in different contexts. But if you just take it in the context in which it's written, it's very clear the power and why it's given. The Bible says, but you shall receive power. Everyone say power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So 
the baptism of the Holy Ghost is real, and when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's an empowerment that goes along with it. And while we want to rejoice about healing and miracles and all of these different things, the Scripture clearly says that the empowerment is for one specific purpose in particular, that you shall be witnesses. This is why. And sometimes the miracles are that, to be a witness of God's power and authority. But the main purpose is this, that you are to be empowered, to be bold, to be a witness, to go into your generation where it's not your strength, it's his strength. It's not your words, it's his words. It's not your authority, but you go in his authority. It's not your nerves, it's God's boldness that comes in you and moves in the generation that you're a part of. What do you think in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, they came and they prayed for boldness. God, give us boldness because we need the empowerment to face the harsh reality of the generation we live in. And my friend, if there's ever been a harsh generation or a cynical generation or antichrist generation, it's a generation that you and I are a part of, but he's going to empower you to go out in the fields and go out in the harvest field. He's going to empower you to reach the lost and reach the hurting. He's going to empower you to give you the words to show you what to say to know which person to talk to he's going to show you and help you and strengthen you because he loves the sinner and he doesn't want anyone to go to hell he doesn't you know i'm glad the lord came or excuse me i said that backwards i want the lord to come but i'm glad he didn't come before he saved me amen amen And the only thing holding Christ from coming is his concern for the lost souls. You know, I think about about the man or woman that's the child or that's raised up in an an ungodly family. Maybe they're raised up in a a homosexual, um, you know, mother and father situation and they don't know anything about God. I just heard heard the the other day about somebody that I know that is, is in college and they're disconnected from me, but I know, anyway, it's just a long story. And in college, they're getting brainwashed, and this, this beautiful young lady is now wanting people to refer to her as they or them, and well, this is transgender, transgender pro, pro, proverb, pronouns, excuse me. Now think about these different people that are just so trapped in the bondage of darkness and sin that they're literally convinced of all of these ridiculous notions of really their lying spirits and doctrines of hell is what they really are. But they believe it because they're so hopeless that they're trying to believe something. My friend, they need help. They need change. They need transformation. They need to be filled with purpose. They need to know the God of heaven and earth that made them and created them. And they need a hope that this world has never given them. And maybe one they've never even known it for one day in their life. But you and I, we've got the gospel of hope. We've got the light of truth. And we've been empowered to reach those souls because he loves them. No matter how confused they are. No matter how much bondage they're in. No matter how much brokenness that the Lord found them in. There's no sin too great that Jesus... Jesus won't leave the throne of heaven and tread down in the pit of of sin to pick up a wounded sinner and carry him back to the Father's house. Oh, clap your hands and thank God for a God who loves the lost and wants to redeem humanity. 
I'm like you. I, I, am, I am disgusted by the filth of this world and the sin of this world. But my friend, we can't ever lose the love and the compassion because they're bound by lies of hell. You know, Cain said to God with an attitude. You know, where's, where's, your, where's your brother? Where's, where's your brother, Cain? I mean, he just murdered him. The Bible says the earth is crying out to the Lord because his blood was spilled and the earth was soaking the blood of Abel up. Where's your brother, Cain? In his, in his attitude of contempt, murdering spirit, indifference. Am I... My brother's keeper? And Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Oh, what spirit do we have? Is it Cain or is it Jesus? Is it an indifference for our brother or is it a, a, a hand to the plow? I've got to be about my father's business. Paul was so stirred. He said, I, I'm willing to suffer the loss of all things, all things, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus left all. He left everything. He faced all kinds of persecution and suffering. Why? That he may just take the gospel to one more place, to one more person. Oh, I wish that would get a hold of us, my friends, in this generation. How guilty we all are of indifference. The spirit of Cain, when God is wanting to baptize us with the spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, being about the Father's business. In Romans 10 and 14, Paul talks about his burden, and he basically says this. Speaking of the lost, he says, how can the lost call on them who they have not believed? How can they do it? And how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how shall they, shall they believe, or how shall they hear without a preacher Who's going to tell them? Who's going to go? Who's going to open their mouth? Who's going to speak? Who's going to tell them about the goodness of God? And verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. My friend, when you go forth with the gospel of peace, you're beautiful in the eyes of God. He looks down upon you with a loving, tender eyes of a father. He looks at you in a, in a way that he doesn't see you in other, in other parts of your life. Oh, how beautiful are your feet. How beautiful is your life. How beautiful is it that you would extend that gospel of hope to someone that's lost. This is the way God sees it. And this is the way that the apostle Paul tried to teach us in the New Testament. My friend, if we're going to win a soul, it's going to be because we have a burden for it. No other reason. We can't do it out of duty. We can't do it out of because whatever. We're trying to have a big church. No, no, no. It's a burden for the lost. I truly care that someone might go to hell. I truly care that someone might die and go to, go to a devil's hell. I'm telling you, devil's hell, it wasn't made for humanity. But hell had to enlarge its mouth because of the wickedness of humanity. I think of that man who started the Salvation Army that said men may go to hell. But if they go to hell, they're going to have to walk 
and step over my body that's trying to pull them and keep them from going to hell. Oh, where's the burden of this generation that says they're going to walk over me? They're going to have to get, a, get, get through me to go to hell because I'm going to tell them about the gospel of Christ. I'm going to tell them about the love of God. I'm going to tell them about the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell them about what Jesus did in my life. I'm going to tell them, my friend, my friends, this is the burden of the church because this is the heartbeat of God. You know, John laid his head on the chest of Jesus in the Last Supper. Kind of a weird thing for John to do, I would think, but I think it's a metaphor in a lot of ways because John wrote the book of Revelation as well, and he said, he said the church needs to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In many ways, when John laid his head on the chest of Christ, he was saying, I want to hear what the heartbeat of God is. I want to know the heartbeat of God. I want to hear what the Spirit is saying. I want to know the burden of God. I want to know what He cares about, what He thinks about. I want to know. My friend, we need the burden of God to get a hold of us in this generation. We are a generation of self. We are. I'm as guilty as you are. We're all guilty of it. Self-indulgent, materialistic. Wanting what we don't have, never satisfied, depressed by the, by the smallest of things. Oh, my friends, if we could get our eyes off self, get our eyes on God, get our eyes off our selfish desires, get our eyes off our personal problems. There's always going to be problems, my friend. You're always going to have problems. But get your eyes off your problems. Get your eyes off the mirror of self and cast your eyes to the field. Jesus said, who's going to go to the field? Oh, pray that labors will be saved. Pray that someone will go. Oh, if you would, go yourself. Don't say a few months and then there's a harvest. No, go. My harvest is ready. It's ready for you. If you would just go, a revival is waiting. If you would just go, there's going to be a massive revival in this generation if you would just go Proverbs 126 and says he that goes forth weeping that's a burden he that goes forth weepeth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him my friend you're going to go to heaven and you can't take your house with you you can't take your car with you. You can't take your job with you. You can't take a suitcase with you or the clothes you have. You can't take anything on this earth with you except for one thing. You can take the lost souls that you've reached for. And you can stand at those pearly gates with the ones that you've reached for. The ones that you discipled. The ones that you taught Bible studies to. The one that you preached to. The one that you loved. The one whose phone you answered and you counseled. You can bring them to heaven with you the only thing you can bring is lost souls and he said if you're going to do that you're going to have to go forth weeping and burying precious seed oh the seed of witness the seed of god's word and a burden of watering it with a burden that only christ has but if you'll do that he says you're going to come again rejoicing when you see him filled with the baptism of the holy ghost at the foot of these altars when you watch him be baptized in the name of jesus coming up a new new creature in Christ. There's going to be a rejoicing that comes upon you because it's greater than silver and greater than gold and greater than all the money that this world has. It's a lost soul that once was lost, bound to hell, but because of you, they can be changed forever because you connected them to Christ. Oh, my friend, 
That is so valuable. I don't even know how you put it, put it in the words how valuable that is. God has called you to be a witness. God has called you to be a disciple maker. You say, but I'm not called to be a preacher, my friend. A preacher is just a pulpit ministry. Everyone's called to win souls. Everyone's called to reach the lost. Everyone's called to have a ministry of some level. Everyone's called to, 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 to give an answer to them, to ask you questions, and, and be a witness to those that you're around of what Christ has done in your life. God has called you to be a witness and a disciple maker in the generation that you're a part of. This is the mission of the kingdom of God. This is God's mission. My friends, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, the Lord is talking about anxiety. The scripture has been on my mind for a while, at least a, couple, at least a month and a half. I've been... Thinking about this chapter in these scriptures, anxiety. You know, I watch so many people so bound with fear, they can't, do, they can't live life just normal. Bound by fear, bound by anxiety, bound, scared of everything. Can't come to church, can't do this, can't do that. So weighed down, if they do come to church, weighed down by the, the weights and the worries of this age. All of the things that hold them down. All the things that keep them bound. All the worries about the future, about the tomorrows. Jesus is saying, listen, worry and anxiety is always going to be on the earth. I'm paraphrasing, of course. People worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. In other words... People worry about money and bills and finances and all the things. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to send my kids uh, to do whatever they need to do? All of these things. And he says this. He makes this statement. I want you, and, and, and I think about the Lord standing there that day, open skies. Maybe a flock of birds flew overhead. And he said, I want you to look at the birds. He said, my father feeds them. They pointed to the field, and he said, I want you to look at the lily of the fields, how they bloom and blossom. Today they are, tomorrow they're not. They're cast in the fire, and they're burned. He said, look how beautiful the Lord clothes them. They're more beautiful than Solomon's wardrobe. He says, if the Lord cares this much for the birds and for the lilies of the field, don't you think he's going to take care of you? How much more does God care about you, the one he came to die for? He said, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to help you pay your bills. I'm going to give you work. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, I'm going to do, give you what you need. I'm going to allow you to succeed and be sustained in life. Then he makes a statement in verse 33. But, however, wait a minute and hear this. However you want to say it. Jesus says in verse 33, But seek ye first. Everyone say first. Seek ye, not second. Not after you got all your bills paid for. Ever, after everything's in order. 
This is the context in which he makes this statement. I know you have needs. I know you have things that worry you. I know you have anxiety. But be, before you put all that at the top of your list, he says, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, if you'll do that, then I'm going to tell you what I'll do. I'll add all of these things in your life. I'll give you what you need. I'll help you pay your bills. I'll help you have work. I'll help you sustain with food and clothing and shelter. God says, but if you do it first my way, then I'm going to give you what you need. Seek ye. And how many times do we not do that? When we're worried about something, the last thing on our mind is doing God's mission. When I can't pay the rent, the last thing on my mind is witnessing. When I can't uh, feed enough food on the table to sustain the fame like I wish I could, then the last thing in my mind is doing the things for God. And no, no, we do the opposite. I watch it all the time in this generation. We skip church and we, and we take a job on Sundays and Wednesdays because we put all that stuff before God. And then why watch it over and over? It's like clockwork. People backslide. They lose the relationship with God. They lose the strength of the Holy Ghost they once had. Why? Because they put the things of God second in their life and then they lost out on all all the blessings that God wanted to put in their life because they wouldn't put God's kingdom first. Amen. I mean, it's an act of faith to do that, isn't it? It's an act of faith to put his kingdom first when you feel like your life is all upside down and confused and in chaos. Here's what the Lord asked me to ask you. And the Lord asked me to ask you in 2023 to be committed to the Great Commission on a personal level. To be committed, you individually, not as a church, we're going to do it as a church, of course, but you individually. And they specifically ask me to tell you to remember the woman at the well. I'm going to tell you, my friend, Jesus went out of his way for one lost sinner, a woman at the well. You see, while I would love to see the crowds, I would love to see the crusades and the thousands, and I'm going to rejoice at that. And I'm going to support Brother Robinette and all those. And so I'm not speaking against that. But here's what the Lord put on my heart. My friend, the value of one soul cannot be understated. And in 2023, what God wants you to do is this. Would you just pray simply? God, help me to win one soul in 2023. I don't need to win families or neighborhoods or cities or, or in my whole gender, I just need to win one soul, God. One soul. I just want to win. I just want to be a difference maker in one person's life. I just want to hand one person the valuable uh, hope of the gospel of Christ that I have. I just, want, I just want to win one person, God. That's all I want in 2023. Now, he said he'll empower you, didn't he? That's what Acts 1 and 8 said. So it's not, you're not on your own. But it's important how you pray. Pray specifically, God, open a door for me to witness to those that would receive the gospel. I don't want to waste my time on those that would criticize. I don't want to waste my time on those that would just make fun or mock. But I pray, God, let me be sensitive to your spirit. And let me understand and be aware. Be aware. That means when I, and I'm the world's worst at this. When I go to a restaurant or I go through a drive-thru, I'm all focused on what I'm doing. But let's be aware of the people, the, the waitress, the waiter, the, the, the clerk, 
at the standing behind the register taking your order or whatever. My friend, everywhere we go is a potential soul. But if we're not aware, if we're not paying attention, if we're not, if we're not open to what the Spirit is saying because we're so focused on what we're doing, then we could miss an open door that's right there before us because we're not sensitive to what God's doing. And so pray this, God, open a door for me to witness and help me to be sensitive when the time is right and you want me to open my mouth and speak. And then, God, I pray, give me boldness in those moments just to speak what you want me to say. Once you have a witness, I'm going to ask you two things. Someone that has your ear. Because if you pray this, God will do it. God will give you a person that will listen to your witness and will be moved by it. Then pray, God, open a door for me to have a Bible study with this person. And then you find a time to have a weekly Bible study with them. And I don't care what you teach. You could teach on genealogy. I don't care. And what, you know, you probably should teach on something else, but the reason I say I don't care, I'm making an extreme statement, is because it's not so much what you're teaching. It's making that connection and that friendship and sharing with them what Christ has done for you on a more detailed level. And you need to adopt this person. If you want to win a soul, this is the secret. You have to adopt this person as your new best friend. You have to. It's not, oh, I'll see you on Sunday. They'll die, my friends. You know, Jesse's about to go to the hospital and <clears throat> have her baby. Very excited. They're going to have a third grandchild. Could you imagine if, if she took it home, laid it on the bed, and said, I'll see you on Sunday, and just left it there all week? It would die. My friend, a newborn baby in Christ is the same way. Their faith will die. You've got to make time for your disciple. You have to. You have to. Now, if you'd give me just five minutes, I want to, five to ten minutes, but I'm going to try to make it five minutes. I want to shift gears, and I want to specifically give you something the Lord gave me, very specific. It's found in Genesis 41 and 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened the opened all the storehouses and sold unto Egypt, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. Wow. Put that in your, in your, for your memory verse this week, Genesis 41, 56, because it has a lot to do, I feel, like the generation that we're in and what we're about to face. Egypt was about to face a severe famine. And my friend, I'm going to tell you this, this world is in a lot of economic trouble, a lot of trouble. We're seeing tremors of it right now. But I want you to look at Joseph. He was in Egypt, but he was not an Egyptian. That's very important that you understand that. He had a covenant with God. Now, when he was thrown in the pit, he refused to be bitter. He refused to blame God. He refused to hate his brothers. He refused to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. He refused to hate Potiphar's wife. He refused to wallow in depression while he sat in prison. 
Everywhere he went, he became a blessing to those he was around. When he was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's uh, entire house prospered. His Potiphar's wealth prospered. When he was put in jail, the jail prospered. It was put in order. When he sat on the throne before Pharaoh, all of Pharaoh's throne prospered. He was always a blessing everywhere he went. He went from a slave to the seat of ultimate authority in Egypt. But here's the key. It's a pun on words. He had the keys of the storehouse. The keys of the storehouse were placed in Joseph's hands while the famine was the greatest in Egypt. What sustained him through all of this? I'm going to give you two scriptures and then we're going to stand. Genesis 45 and 7. And God sent me before you. Excuse me. Let me say this again. We set this up. God was speaking to his brothers that just found out Joseph was the governor of Egypt, and they're shocked. Now they're thinking, okay, revenge. Joseph's going to kill us all. But Joseph said this, and God, God sent me before you. Why? To preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God sent me for salvation of your souls. It was a physical salvation. They would have starved to death if it wasn't for Joseph. Genesis 50 and 20. They come back to Joseph after Jacob dies, and they're still scared he's going to kill them. And this is what he said. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it. Unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I want you to stand. <coughs> now, I have. been pondering this word for a while now, at least a month. Bishop calls me yesterday, tells me a dream he has, and it's so very connected to this prophetic word that I'm about to give you that came from Brother Wade. I've been stirring it, I've been thinking about it, I've been praying about it, and then Bishop connected to the same spirit and poured into me. And I feel like this prophetic word is for this church and for this generation. Brother Wade, text this so there was no mess up in translation. He said, the word of the Lord came to my hearing yesterday at 1243. I unfortunately didn't put the date. He didn't put the day, he just put the time. (laughs) But it was sometime in December. Now hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I, the Lord, have caused mine eyes to go throughout the whole earth. For behold, my people have had their eyes upon the storehouses, while my eyes have been upon the fields. However, this day I would say to my people that I will put the keys of my storehouses in the hands of those that are looking where my eyes are looking. 
that they will be going to where my hand is extended. For my storehouses are reserved for those that are aligned with me and my heart. Be wise, my people, for behold, a famine is coming, and I will release wisdom to feed the nations, and he that winneth souls is wise. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, I hope you hear what I'm saying this evening. Oh, there's going to be plenty of time for you to be anxious and worried and Watching the stock market crash and watching your 401k go down and wondering where your next paycheck is going to come from. My friend, this world's in a lot of trouble. But the word of the Lord is this. He that has his eyes on the field, God is going to place him in the seat of Joseph with the keys of the storehouse in your hands. And the, Lord, the Lord's going to do something special tonight. Brother Doherty is the spiritual bishop of this church. He started this church, and he is, he is a spiritual, um, how, do you, how do you word it, a spiritual uh, depth that, that I can't touch. And I'm very thankful for him. And I appreciate when he has a word for the Lord for the church. And the word of the Lord is this. Bishop's anointed to pray, and I'm going to pray with him. For anyone this evening... That wants to be empowered to go into the fields and seek first the kingdom of God. And my friends, when Bishop and I pray for you tonight, you're not going to be the same when you leave this building. If you're sincere, if you're serious, and if your mind's made up, I'm going in the fields. I'm going in the fields. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God in 20 and 23. And I'm going to get my worries and my anxieties off the storehouse. And I'm going to put my heart and align it with the heart of God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Oh, would you close your eyes for a moment? Before we do this, I want you to, uh, I want you to pray this. God, help me with my fears and my anxieties and help me overcome them. Don't, don't repeat exactly what I'm saying, but pray this vein. And help me, I pray, God, get my eyes off the things that worry me and get my eyes on the fields of the lost souls that you've empowered me to reach. Would you just in your own way pray that right now? Father, I pray right now in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Tonight I feel a special impartation. I feel a special anointing. I feel a special calling that you have placed upon this church and upon this generation. Oh God, we have come from two and three years of anxiety and fear and, and all of the things that are happening in the world and, and, and being locked in our houses and fear of sickness and fear of economic problems and fear of all of the things. But God, we are not of the world. We are not of Egypt. We are, we are called of this world because we have a purpose, oh God, that you have anointed us for. You have assigned us for a purpose for this generation. You have given us a great commission. We are the light to go forth in the world. We are to get our eyes off ourselves and on the fields and upon the lost. I pray in the name of the Lord God Almighty, take the fears. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of sound mind. I lose the authority of your word. I lose the authority of your great commission. I lose the authority of your power. 
I lose the authority of your purposes. I lose the authority, oh God, of what you're doing in this hour. I lose your will. Touch our minds. Let us be released of the spirit of fear. I bind it and I take authority of it in the name of Jesus. Let God's people be free in the name of Jesus. And I pray for boldness and the Holy Ghost anointing and an empowerment to rise up and go forth like they never have before. It is time to arise. It is time to go forth. It is time to advance. It is time to take the gospel into the world and let the light shine where you've called it to shine. We lose this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. If you are serious about this, no, I don't want you to come up if you're not serious about this. And, and maybe you're not convinced, maybe you're not there, and it's okay. I'm going to allow you. I'm not going to guilt trip you, and I'm not going to. I'm, truly, I don't want you to come if your heart's not in this because it's pointless. I don't want to ostracize anybody either. If, you, if you're not ready to make this commitment, God bless you. We're going to love you. It's okay. But if you're willing and you're ready to make this commitment for Christ, I want you to come up to this altar tonight. And if you're watching at home and you couldn't be here tonight, I want you to find a place to pray at your house. I want you to come up here and I want you to... Uh, the only way I know to do this is form a line. Let's start with Brother Kendall. If you could face that way, Brother Kendall. If everyone could just line up behind Brother Kendall. Brother Doherty, if you would come in front of Brother Kendall there. And we're going to do it kind of like we do prayer lines. We're just going to pray and then. You guys just keep walking, and you can find another place to pray. And we're just going to have you walk through us.